As we read the stories of Jesus, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're filled with stories like these. Stories of miracles, stories of healing. Sometimes we wonder, I wonder what to do with all those. What's the reason that these writers chose to tell all these? Sometimes we look at them as simply a way to say, well, Jesus was amazing. Jesus did miracles that he was the son of God, but I think they tell us something a little deeper about what Jesus was doing, about his mission, about this connection to this thing we've been talking about called the kingdom of God. So we're going to dive into these stories. We're going to focus on that second story that was read, the story of the healing of Jairus' daughter and this unnamed woman. And so we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. And so prior to this, Jesus, we've been introduced over the last few weeks, Jesus has been talking about something called the kingdom of God, this reign and this rule of God. And what we want to look at is how does this connect to what Jesus was talking about? So chapter 5, beginning at verse 21, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. And so what's happened just before this? So one, this lake here, unnamed, is what we know as the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee, or this lake, is probably five, five, six miles wide, about 13 miles long. Kind of for reference, Muskegon Lake is about five and a half miles by about two and a half miles. So about two, three times the size of Muskegon Lake. So this isn't something really big. It's a good-sized lake. But Jesus has been doing his ministry around this lake. There was a story a little bit earlier, Mark, where there was a storm on the lake, and Jesus calms the storm. There was a story just before this where Jesus had been on the other side, and he had done another miracle with a herd of pigs, and casting out of these demons, but now he comes again to the other side of this lake. One of the things that I talked about last week was the importance of geography. And so learning the Sea of Galilee is in the northern region. And as you read through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus spends about the first half of the Gospel of Mark up in the north. And up in the north, he's doing all these incredible things. He's casting out demons, he's healing people. And then as the Gospel continues, he begins his journey south south towards Jerusalem where he'll be crucified. And what we see is as he moves south, we see less and less miracles, less and less of these kinds of displays of what we might think of as power. And so one of the things we notice maybe and begin to think about is what does true power look like? And is God still with Jesus? Because we might think, oh, we read the beginning of it and think like, oh, this is amazing. God's doing all these incredible miracles. All these great things are going on. And then all of a sudden, there aren't any happening, and we end up seeing Jesus crucified. And we see that God is at work in both those things. And in fact, the cross is Jesus' ultimate victory. And so it might even begin to get us thinking about, sometimes we see our lives and we think, oh, God is doing all kinds of things, and we can see them visibly. And we maybe have a sense, a greater sense of, oh, God is with me right now, because There's this miracle happening. There's these wonderful things happening. But sometimes when things aren't going so well, when we're feeling opposition, we might begin to wonder, was God still with me? And as we read the Gospels, we're reminded, is God with Jesus any less when he's in Jerusalem than when he's doing these miracles? And so it might be a reminder, in fact, God is doing his greatest work when? When Jesus feels abandoned, when Jesus is alone. So a reminder to us that sometimes when we feel apart, when everything else is going wrong, that that might be the time. I'm not saying it will be the time. It might be the time when Jesus, when God is doing his greatest work in us. 
So Jesus has crossed the other side of the lake, and it says a synagogue leader named Jairus came to him. And so the synagogue leaders were, would have been kind of the upper middle class. He would have been fairly wealthy. And we might be surprised at first reading this because we're used to the religious leaders as being Jesus' opposition. But he comes to Jesus, and he falls at his feet. And he pleads earnestly. He says, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so even this language here, we begin to see. So the word healed can also mean saved. And so oftentimes in the Gospel of Mark, that same word is translated saved. So there's a sense, and this is what we're going to get at, is there's a sense where healing and salvation are connected. So Jesus begins to go, and it says, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. How many of you have ever been to a big city? And you've gone through, and you're maybe down in a subway or the bus station, and you're kind of, you know, the crowds, and you're pushing down the sidewalks. These days, we don't experience so much of that. But you go places sometimes, or maybe you've made the mistake of going to the mall around Christmas time, or maybe going out shopping on Black Friday, if you're silly enough to do that. And there's just these massive people. And this is what Jesus is experiencing at this point, these crowds pushing in around him. And they said, and there was a woman there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And so we're introduced to another character in the story. It's kind of like one story's going, we've got Jairus and his daughter who's dying, and all of a sudden there's another character, except we don't know who she is. Isn't it interesting? We are told about Jairus and his name, but we don't know who this woman is. And it just simply says she'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, a chronic medical condition. And it says she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. Can anybody sympathize with that? Suffering under the care of many doctors. So she's been going, you know, we think, oh, we have all this wonderful modern medicine, but we still experience that same sort of thing where she goes from doctor to doctor and nobody can help her. And so she's suffering, so she's bleeding, which means you know, she's probably feeling weak, she's feeling groggy all the time. Because of the bleeding, she probably is ritually unclean, which means she can't participate in a lot of the activities of going to the temple. So she's an outcast in many different ways. And she had spent all she had. We think of medical costs as a modern phenomena. It was an ancient phenomena too, where here she is, she's suffering under the care of these doctors and there was no, let's think back 2,000 years, there was no anesthesia. But I don't know what sort of treatments they used. It may have been leeches, it may have been other ways to try and bleed her. There was nothing pleasant about the way they treated, not that modern medicine is particularly pleasant, but here's this sense of, here's this thing going on, she's suffering under the care and spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So here she is trying to get better, going to the doctors, has spent everything she had. She's physically exhausted. She's mentally exhausted. She's emotionally exhausted. She feels cast out from everybody. And she hears that this man Jesus is coming to town. And she says, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And again, the word healed, I will be healed slash saved. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Don't you like that language of not only is she healed, but there's a freedom. She's released 
from this suffering and this pain. And then this part of the story comes. And once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? So once again, crowd, you're pushing through this crowd, and you got all these people pushing around, and Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And his disciples, stating the obvious, you know, kind of like, in, not in this one particular one, but, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. I mean, who, who knows who touched him? And then it says, the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. You hear that language, just like Jairus had fallen at his feet. Came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. So it wasn't, so we're reminded in part one, this wasn't some magic. We kind of think, wait, wait a minute, all he had to do was touch her clothes, and maybe we're reminded of televangelists who you know, send out handkerchiefs or whatever and say, oh, if you just touch this, you'll be healed. But it's saying that, it says what? Her faith had healed her. That she had this trust, that she had this sense of that Jesus could do it. And then he says, go in peace. The sense of being peace and be freed from your suffering. And again, this sense of freedom of being released from the thing. So there's this interruption in the story and the way that she reaches out in faith. And then it said, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And so there's this interruption that goes on in the story. and We begin to wonder, oh, wait a minute. What's Jesus going to do? And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe. And so this theme that runs through a faith and the connection to it. And he tells the crowds not to follow him. And he gets to the home and he says, you know, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And the people laugh at him. And he goes in and he takes the girl and once again he touches her. And he says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And she stood up and all the people were amazed. So what's going on in this story? What might this tell us about who Jesus is and what kind of things he does? One, they might be questions for us about miracles. Because one of the questions I often get asked is, why don't we see these sort of things today? Why aren't there more miracles today? Why aren't we seeing these sort of things going on? I wonder if, like the story, we fail to see the miracles because there's so many pressing on us that we don't know what's going on. Like these crowds and there's all these things going on around us and so much is overwhelming us that maybe we just miss it. Maybe we just miss the miracles of God because there's so much going on. You wonder, how many people were in that crowd? How many people were in all that around that failed to see what Jesus did for this woman right there? Or you've got the second group, when Jesus comes to heal Jairus' daughter, and the people laugh at him. When Jesus says, oh, she's not, she's just sleeping. She's not dead. And they laughed at him. So how many times are we maybe a little unsure of the facts? And maybe we just kind of laugh things off. We laugh off what God is doing. We fail to see it. Now, this isn't the story and. Sometimes we want to know answers to questions like that. Why doesn't Jesus do more things like this? When does Jesus heal? Why do, why do some people get healed and some don't? And the answer I've come to oftentimes is, God's chosen not to tell us that. That we have a lot of questions we ask that God doesn't necessarily reveal to us. God chooses to heal some 
and others not? Is there a connection with faith? Seems like it at times, but other times not. And so there's all these things going on. Here, there's a story of faith. But I wonder sometimes if we just miss the miracles. If we miss the things going on because we're so overwhelmed with activity. Or maybe we just see those things and we kind of laugh off what God is doing. And what we realize is we can't always predict what God is going to do next. But there's something else that is going on here I think that's important. And that's about Jesus' mission. This thing called the kingdom of God. And we see these two people. And there's a connection between them. There's a connection. I've read this story for years. And as I was reading it again this week and and reading some references on it, there's a little detail I never noticed in the story. How long had the woman been sick? Twelve years. How old was the little girl? Twelve. I never noticed that before. This little, this little, whether or not that's intentional, what's the point? You know, it's like, is that just, is that the facts of the story? Why did, but Mark chose to remind us of those details. But here's a woman who in some sense had been dead for 12 years. A little girl who died at 12 years. And in what, what in both cases, what does Jesus do? He frees them from the things that bind and shackle them. In other words, what happens? Jesus brings life. This woman, in some sense, she was alive, but she wasn't really, in some sense, living anywhere. She was bound by the shackles of death, the illnesses that brought her down. It had robbed her of her money. It had robbed her of her relationships. It had robbed her of her strength. It had robbed her of, even in some sense, robbed her of hope. And Jesus comes into that and brings life to her, frees her from that. And this little girl is bound literally by death itself. And Jesus comes and frees her from that. And so when we think about Jesus, we remember that Jesus has come to bring life. That's what the kingdom of God is all about, is this redemption of bringing freedom, of bringing life. And so when we talk to people about the kingdom of God, when we hear about the kingdom of God, sometimes it's simply a picture we have of of something that's far off in the future. Something that God is going to do in the future, that God's going to do something amazing. Or maybe it's just a picture of the kingdom of God is just some sort of spiritual thing going on inside of me. But what we see in this story is that Jesus is deeply concerned with all of our life. And that Jesus has come to set people free. And to bring life. To bring healing. Again, I can't answer the questions of why Some people get sick and are healed and some don't. I wish I could. I wish I had some simple answer, but I think part of it even goes back to this sense of faith, of of trusting in the theme we see in the stories of what healed these people. There was this trust and it was at all different levels. But God chooses to heal, but this is God's plan, is to bring healing, to bring, bring freedom. And part of the story is that it's something that we talk about is it's already and it's not yet. That the kingdom, Jesus brought the kingdom, but it's not fully here yet. And if we were to read the rest of the story of the Bible, we'd see that at the end of the story, there's a time when God makes all things new, when there's no more death, no more sorrow, no more. And that's what we're moving towards. And what we see here is Jesus beginning that 
The fancy word that theologians use is the inaugurated eschatology. You know, big syllables, you know, 25 cent words. Inaugurated meaning it's begun. And eschatology is the last days, the study. So it's inaugurated. In other words, the beginning, Jesus has come and he's brought the beginning of what God is going to do. And so when we see Jesus freeing this woman, when he see Jesus raising this woman, it's a picture, a glimpse of what's going to happen fully when God makes all things new. But it's just a reminder that what has Jesus come to do? He's come to bring life. He's come to give us and bring us life. And what kind of people? He's got rich, he's got a rich man and his daughter. And he's got an unnamed woman. That there's not a matter of saying, well, Jesus comes and he brings life to a certain kind of people. Or he only brings life to a certain category, a certain But the kind of people he brings life to are those who are willing to trust, who are willing to give their faith, who are willing to give him our faith. And so as we seek life, it's an invitation to us to reach out in faith. And as we look at these stories, I mean, these aren't dramatic. I mean, it's just a woman saying, Jesus, I need you. A religious leader saying, Jesus, you can help me. That's what Jesus invites us to do, to seek him as the one who is the source of life, to seek him as the one who can free us from all that shackles us to death, to simply to reach out in faith and to be healed, to be set free. And that's what these stories are reminding us of, that Jesus longs to set us free. And so may we reach out with faith and be set free by the one who has the power over death. Amen.